0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Pray with me. Father, we praise you that you are indeed a great King, and that You have set up Your anointed Prince, the great David. We knew Him as Jesus when He walked the earth. A simple man born humble, submitted and obedient to all of Your will. Obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. And You have exalted Him That at the name Lord, that is the name that you have securely fastened to Him, the Lord, He is the Lord. And at that name every knee will bow, and every tongue confess He is Lord. To the glory of you, God, Father. We acknowledge that we say thank you for it. You have crowned him. You have set him up. He rules. And through him you have worked a great salvation and are still today working salvation. And as we consider that from the text today, Lord, would you help us to understand, to be moved by, and to want to eagerly join into this saving work that you are powerfully doing in Christ. Father, that's my request, and I pray that you would order my words, that you would keep them from being confusing, you would keep them from being distracting in any way, so that this ruler, this good shepherd can be seen, Submitted to and followed. Loved, adored, worshiped, embraced. Do that. Spirit of God, move through this room now and do that in the hearts of men and women, teenagers, younger kids. Or do that. Cause Christ to be cherished, treasured, obeyed. I can speak, I can say things, but I can't make anything happen. As we prayed earlier, we ask You to give hearts that are inclined towards You. Refresh our hearts. Move us As You said You would in this new covenant, move us to follow Your decree. Give us Your Spirit in abundance. Here now, we ask. Open up the Word and teach us, Spirit of God, that the Son of God may be exalted to the glory of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. We pray that. Do it now, we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. we turn our attention this morning to the second half of second samuel chapter 5 we looked at the first half of this chapter last week and saw in it the long awaited that is long awaited but finally come anointing of david as king over all of israel he was anointed by men finally he'd been anointed by the lord a long time before when he was still a young boy but he's now at this point 37 years old and a lot has happened A lot of water has gone under the bridge, but finally it's come to this point where he is come to be king. People anointed him, but as we saw, even that was the work of the Lord. Verse 12 said that David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom. It was the Lord who had done it. He became king, and verse 10, he became greater and greater because the Lord God of hosts was with him. This is the work of the Lord, establishing and exalting David as king. And we considered, as we looked at that, we saw in it, we saw the determination of God to keep his promise, to to do what he says he will do. Even over the course of decades, even through many trials and tribulations, the Lord will do what he says he will do. We saw in that great encouragement. And we also saw a determination by the Lord to actually have his anointed one reign as king over his people. So in general, you recall, in general, he keeps his promises, but then it focused and became a little more particular. He will have his king, his anointed one reign. He's constantly at work to exalt this one king over the earth, but particularly over his people, over us. If you're a Christian, over you. Working through all kinds of random events to make him to be the one who reigns over you for our good. saw this last week too, and this is an important point because we use language like to reign over, to rule over, to be king over, and that can kind of land on us a little bit hard. It hits our modern ears a little bit off. So we have to see it at the end of verse 12. He says that it was the Lord who had established and exalted him for the sake of his people Israel. For the sake of, for the good of Yes, reign, rule, command, authority for the good of the people. Because people, all of us, we need a king, we need a ruler. And this is a good king, a good ruler, a good shepherd as we talked about also. Because of what he shepherds us away from and what he shepherds us towards. Away from all the deception and all the lies and all the misleading, harmful, destructive things of the world and towards a God who is a God of abundant Grace and mercy. We need that, and God is determined to accomplish it. And we saw last week's passages are a bunch of stories lined up to present to us this picture of David as the king, established and exalted and reigning. And we commented that those stories are not in chronological order. They're gathered together by theme to present David like that as this established reigning king. The the timing's messed up. Well, the same idea is going on in our passages here at the end of this chapter. Chronological order is not not the dominant idea. It's, It's thematic order. There are two battle scenes collected here because they are both battle scenes. And they're collected here out of chronological order to teach us some things about how this reigning king is used by God to save his people. It's going to make a point here about how God uses His anointed one to fight for and to save His people. That's what we're going to consider today. Let me read the whole passage, the last half of chapter 5. Then I'll pass back through it to make sure that we understand it. Make sure we understand it before making a couple of larger observations. So this is the second half, Second Samuel chapter 5, beginning verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up. For I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has burst through my enemies before me like a bursting flood. Therefore the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. The word of the Lord. Right away, we, we notice how the passage is not in chronological order. as It says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king, in other words, sometime before verse 6. So it, it's, it's out of chronological order. Evidently, what had been going on is during the seven years that David was king over the one tribe in the south and Ishbosheth was king over all the rest of Israel and there had been this civil war, the Philistine domination of the land had continued, but they didn't really care to get involved in the civil war. In fact, while Israel's fighting Israel, Israel's weaker. But they still controlled much of the land. Remember, they'd routed Saul and killed him in the big battle that ended Saul's reign, and they'd taken over many cities and they'd come and lived in them. So the Philistines are present and dominant in the land, but they're leaving the Israelites to squabble amongst themselves until they finally hear that's over and David, who they knew well, David is the man. And then they immediately act to go get him. And what we get in verses 17 and following is uncomfortably similar to David's earlier years. The Philistines hear that David is has been anointed. And so they send an army to go out and chase him. They go to search for him. Same word often used in connection to Saul when he sends an army to go search for the anointed one. And David, just like he did before, flees and runs to the stronghold with the article the. Similar word he's used before, probably meaning the same place that he went before, the stronghold. We don't know where that is, but it seems to be David's kind of favorite hiding place. History is repeating itself. David's anointed, an army goes to seek him, and he runs to the stronghold. We're right back where we started. Except that God has moved the hands on the clock of redemptive time, if you will, and and this is no longer the time for fleeing. This is the time for fighting. So David asks him, should I go up? And the answer is not run and hide, I'll protect you, but go and attack, I'll deliver you. And so he goes, Will you give them into my hand? Yes, I will give them into your hand. In verse 20, he went, and we find the word bursting four times in this verse. You may have a footnote that points out that, that this term, Baal, Perizim, as David named the place afterwards, beginning and end of the verse, it's, it's, you might have a footnote that explains the Lord of bursting through. That's what the word means. He calls it the place, the lord of bursting through because there the lord bursts through there the lord bursts through like a bursting flood think of a of a dam breaking and water just rushing forward or if you've ever seen any the footage of the tsunamis just devastating waves that carry away massive concrete structures and cars and trees and the very ground the Lord burst through, or to change metaphors, something we might use, he blew them away. And so he calls it the place of the Lord bursting through. And then small point, they left their idols there. Small but important because it points out something. We've seen this before. Usually the, the, the shoes has been on the other foot, though. Usually Israel's lost and the Philistines have gathered up the the idols, in their mind, the idols, the, the Ark of the Covenant or the, the, the implements of war from Saul. And they've carried them away and have shown that our God has triumphed over your God. Well, here it's, it's reversed. This is the idols left lying on the ground as if Yahweh killed them. And they pick them up and carry them off. This is a spiritual battle as we've seen before. It's not just a battle between people. It's, about a, it's a spiritual battle and Yahweh has conquered But the Philistines try again, verse 22. We don't know when this was. There's, there's no time indication given yet, other than that yet again they tried. And it's the same general place. And David asks again, what should I do? And the Lord responds again, but with different instructions. Don't go up to face them. Go around behind them and wait until I have attacked them first. Do you notice that you see, it's supposed to listen for a sound in the trees. The Lord is going to make there to be a sound in the trees as as that of an army marching, and when you hear that sound, then get up and go in, for I have gone before you. God's going to attack as a warrior himself first. then David, you come join in after you've heard that. And David did what he was commanded. it says. He got up, he struck down the Philistines over this great distance, and they won a great victory. Those are the two passages paired together, obviously similar. I've got something to communicate to us about the Lord and his power to save. So I'm going to make two observations. Here's the first one It is the Lord's power that saves. Now, as I say that, I I hope you're saying, yeah, of course. We need to think about that, though. I'm going to put a little bit of emphasis on two words, one in particular. It is the Lord's, and then especially power, that saves. The Lord's, not David's, not Israel's the the lord is the powerful one he it's not not the people it, he has power over all the idols there's no other power it, it's the lord but in particular the text emphasizes the power of the lord not even just his presence to save or his willingness to save or his love to save it's emphasizing power david goes and asks will you give them into my hand and the response is yes go attack i will give them into your hand I hold them in my hand. I do with them what I please. They have no idea that. They don't picture it like that at all. I hold them and I will give them over to you. That's a statement. We we sometimes talk in, in athletic settings about how one player or one team owns the other one. He owns him. He does with them what he pleases. Well, this is literally he owns them. He holds them, does with them what He chooses. I will give them over to you, David. And then when the battle comes, bursting, 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 bursting. Like a flood. Power. Similarly, in the next next story, He asks, should I go? Yes, go. And I will go before to strike them down. It's the Lord presented as a warrior himself. Not even as just one who empowers David this time, but as the warrior himself. I will go before to strike down, and then you follow on and strike down. The emphasis in these two stories is it is the power of the Lord that saves just as as has always been the case throughout all of this. But we have seen this again and again and again and again and again. God certainly uses people, and He certainly uses David here. But it is the Lord's power. And the Lord has power. Power. From the very beginning, from way back when we had Baron Hannah praying for a baby, and then she gets one and she prays then that the Lord would, would carry on further and deliver her from all, of that, all that oppresses. She knows that it is the Lord who will do it by exalting his anointing. But the Lord will do it. And then most closely tied to this, just in a few chapters back in chapter 3, when Abner is trying to rally all of Israel to David, he says, The Lord, through David, the Lord will save you from the Philistines and from all your enemies. The Lord will in power. Again and again we see that there is a God who has power and that God holds every enemy of His people in His hand and does with them as He pleases in, in vast omnipotence. People of God, I, I say to you the Lord has power and the great temptation is for us to say... Of course, that's kind of elemental, elementary. Yeah, I get that. No, you don't. He has power. You face no challenges. Of course, you face all kinds of challenges. No, you don't. Of course, I do. Yes. No. (laughs) Power of this sort. Knows no challenges. The Philistines are numerous and armed. So what? And? They brought their gods? Oh, good. We can make this quick. <laughs> power. Power. People of God, behold your God in power to save. This is a God who is determined to save and has power to save. So we need to consider His powerful saving of us, His people. First and foremost, consider how God saves us from all of our enemies. That's what He said through Abner He would do. He saves us from all of our enemies. Most importantly, initially, perhaps most unexpectedly, God in power saves us from our greatest enemy, God. What? Our greatest enemy. The greatest enemy any human being can ever know is God Himself might make you say, what are you talking about? How can God be the enemy of me, of people? God has revealed to humanity His nature. He has told us and shown us who and what He is, pure and right and holy, holy, holy. A little foreshadowing. If you look ahead, this word bursting through is going to show up in next chapter when He strikes down an Israelite. Bursting through on him because he is holy, holy, holy. This is the God who is and has power and has told us that He is right and just and holy, and has told us what He requires of all of His creation to relate to Him justly and rightly in holiness. And He has told us and shown us, if it is not abundantly clear to us, that we are not that. He said to us to love Him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength and with all of our might and to love our neighbors as ourself, and we don't. From birth, none of us. You may not think like that often. You certainly may not think like that about yourself. Maybe the person you don't like over there, but that's us. You and you and you and you and me. From birth, by nature, in and of ourselves. And so His penalty, pronounced on us and remaining on us, is wrath. That should cause you to quake when you consider it. It is a terrible truth. The greatest enemy human beings can ever know is the immortal, omnipotent God, just in judgments, fully aware of all of our guilt. Everything that you think in your mind, everything that you have done in secret is fully, completely known to Him and remains under His judgment. And He is just and right and holy and pure and hath pronounced on it, It is a fearsome and terrible truth that all that remains for us in the presence of this God is unending, everlasting sorrow and misery and anguish. And there is nowhere to flee from this God other than, ironically, right back to Him. Do you get that? I have to preach it like this, to present it like this, because there is a God who is our only hope Gloriously, graciously, mercifully, our hope. The only one with power to save us from that God is God. And He has awesome, amazing, gracious, glorious love. Oh. Do not yawn. Oh my. Only God has power great enough to save us from God. We don't. Not a thing we can do. He is about to burst forth against us and in steps God come in flesh to receive it. To stand in the face of it and to absorb the full fury and wrath of God that you may go free. And no longer find him to be an enemy, omnipotent and terrifying, but to find him to be a friend, glorious and gracious and near and strong in power to save you if you believe. He does not save everybody. He saves those who believe. That's what's going on at the cross. I know most of you realize this. Some don't though. I know, I, I know there are people in this room who are not saved. Just work the math, the odds. But some of you, I know a little bit, and some will hear this. Who you you perhaps understand conceptually the cross and what's going on there, but it doesn't apply to you until you trust what's happened at the cross. That's where Christ steps in and takes on Himself the wrath and the fury of God, and God in power does something amazing, releases you from judgment if you trust that cross. In your place. It is an amazing thing. This salvation is an amazing bursting forth of the loving power of God in Christ on our behalf to justify the ungodly like you. That is an impossibility. If you understand God, if you understand the immensity of the holiness of God, it is an impossibility to the human mind that God in His wrath could be satisfied. And then you see God come on the cross and you say, Behold the wisdom and the power of God. God has power to save His people. Do you know that salvation? First, do you know of it, but then do you know it? Is it yours by faith? Not by anything you do. You can't, you can't run fast enough to get away. You can't act good enough to get away. You can run right back to Him and say, I give up and He will forgive. Do you know that? Have you taken it? Have you trusted Him? Do. Find life. This is amazing, saving, powerful. The glory of God is wrapped up in this. But I have to also acknowledge that it is not the most common way that God in power saves his people. If you just think about it logically, if you take one Christian, how many times has that happened to one Christian? Once. And the Bible then expresses that God saves us so that he can save us and will one day save us. This lasts a whole lot longer than this. He saves us changes the stance of God towards a Christian and makes you a friend, forgives you of your sin, and therefore becomes your Savior all through life, every moment, all the way to the end when He brings you to glory. And this saving work is what we must next turn our minds to. This is where you live today, Christian. God in power works to save you, Christian, again and again and again, day after day, moment after moment. Because you are a Christian, I need to be very, very, very clear here. This is not you becoming a Christian or you being forgiven of your sin and made right with God again again and again and again and again. That happens once. And because that has happened, He is a Savior to you all through life in the great struggle of this life. And the great struggle of this life is not to get a job and to have good health and to raise kids who are not criminals. All those things are good and nice. And and I want to be clear, God is involved in those things in your life too. We are physical beings. Those things do matter to us. And God cares about those He has saved who are His people. He intervenes all through life to work those things out for us too. That is good and great. Praise God and thank you. But we must acknowledge that's not the main deal. That's not what the battle right now is about. Those things at best are battlefields. Terrain on which the battle happens. The battle from which he saves. For you, he intervenes in that battle. In those battlefields, on in those environments of job and work and family and relationships and health and finances. Yes. But what he's engaged with to save you from moment after moment after moment is defection. understand what I mean by that it's easy to see physical need but what he rescues us from and what we most need to be rescued from day after day is the attack on our souls right now to kill steal and destroy as much as Satan possibly can still steal kill and destroy he knows no limits whatever he can get he'll take and he wants more He aims to lead you, Christian, in defection away from this God. To guide you off into a wilderness somewhere where you will be destroyed and where God will be defamed. Where His kingdom will be crimped, not grown. Where His reputation will be soiled and not proclaimed and expanded and loved and gloried in where you will know misery and loss and suffering and shame and not deliverance and joy and beauty filling your mind in the presence of God. He aims to take you away and all of the enemies that you really fight in life are joining Him, including even your own fallen heart, the world all around, not to mention Satan himself. Those are the enemies from which God must save and the good news is he has power to do so. There is much at stake in this battle, the honor of God and your joy, I sum it up like that. And God has made this anointed one your Savior at this point, and that from that point on He is a Savior. How does He save you? He ever lives to intercede for you. Moment by moment by moment by moment before the Father in heaven saying, Consider your son, Father. Consider your son, Steve. Your daughter, Mary. Consider them. Consider them. Look, give grace and mercy to help them in their time of need. He ever lives to intercede. And what specifically is He asking for? When I say give grace, what I mean specifically Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. Jesus prayed that on earth. He's still praying that. You're a teenage girl. You sit in school. Truths, I say that in quotes, come to you in a steady stream from 25 classmates from a teacher, from the iPhone you're not supposed to be paying attention to. Truths are coming to you. And I say truths. And you have a Savior who says, Father... Will you sanctify that teenage girl, that teenage boy, that adult man at the office? Will you sanctify them by putting the truth in their minds? Not just at the level that they know it, they understand it. Most of us are already there. But will you do in power the impossible? Will you change how they see it? You see... This this happens all the time. I communicate something. You talk across the table with somebody. You share a cup of coffee. You communicate a truth with somebody. And you say, yes, I know. I got it. But we don't. We don't. Beauty is a vain thing. Charm is deceitful. Yeah, okay, sure. As we trot off to spend our time and our money... Chasing vanity and deceit. I got it. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. Oh, God, will you save this person? Uh, He's already yours. She's already yours. So you have saved him. But will you save him today from defection that will dishonor you and destroy him? Will you save him? There's a message coming to him, coming to her, that she needs to be charming, that she needs to be beautiful, that he needs to be strong, he needs to be wealthy, he needs to be whatever. She needs whatever. It's a coming truth and it's a lie and it will destroy them and dishonor you. Save! That's what he's praying for you. I don't know if he's using that kind of fervor, but he's praying for you. And he does not pray half-heartedly. He prays earnestly for you. And what he's asking, Father, do the impossible in power. Send your Spirit to change this one's mind and heart. To change her affections. To change his perspective. So that the Word now seems right. And grabs his heart and draws him after it. That is a miracle when that happens. It requires power. Thank God He has power to save His people. That battle is going on for you, for your soul, every single moment. Most of the time, we are entirely oblivious to it. At best, we are concerned with the battlefields. We would prefer to rearrange the terrain so that we have a hill and there's a nice protective stream in front of us. And we don't realize that's not the battle. That's the environment in which the battle happens. Christian. Christian. You have a Savior. This And and this... This should be tremendously encouraging and perhaps alarming in an awakening sense. It should be tremendously encouraging. You have a Savior who in power is engaged to save you right now. But the alarming part perhaps, you need to be saved right now. And you're oblivious to it largely. You're going somewhere right now. You're being led down some path at this very moment. Thank God there's a Savior engaged with power to save you. Wake up. You need to be saved. And God, the Lord, has power. To do so, it will turn your mind, and this is good news. It will turn the minds of those around you, those you care about, that is good news. Because we cannot. All you can do is inform, and you must inform. All you can do is inform yourself, inform another. But God is the one who must cause this written word that I understand in English. To be precious to me, to show me the beauty of God in the righteous, holy nature that He really is. Not to just tell me that He's righteous and holy, but to show me the beauty of it, to give a taste to you. This is the work of God, and He is engaged to do it. Bless God. Wake up. Cry out to Him. Feed yourself and cry out to Him. God, Speak. God, illumine my mind. God, give me a taste of what I I read about but don't know yet. Give me sight like a blind man for the first time ever seeing. Give me that kind of sight for that which I've heard of. Wake up. Bless God that He in power is fighting, but wake up. God in power saves through Christ through His anointed one, saves you. And the second observation, which I've already touched upon, but I want to expand it. The Lord works His saving power through a servant who depends on Him. Through a servant who depends on Him. This too shows itself in both battle accounts. Verse 19, David inquired of the Lord. What should I do? Dependent on the Lord. And then he named the place Lord of bursting through to make clear that it was God's victory. And then 23, same thing, David asked. And then it says he did as the Lord commanded him. This is David dependent. Now David is a warrior, has been his whole life he probably had a thought or two as to what he should do. Probably had some decent grounds for trusting in his own strength, but he didn't. Even the second time, he might have been inclined to think, well, I've done this before, we're even in the very same terrain. I know what to do, but he asked again. And what do you know? found different instructions. David is dependent, and the Lord is pleased to work his saving power through such a servant, through a dependent servant why what we see here is something that is fundamental that is that is foundational to the kingdom of god how it works how it grows god is pleased to pour out his power through dependent servants those who look to him for guidance who look to him for power because that methodology using dependent servants is most likely to assign accurately the glory that will arise from victory. And least likely to result in idolatrous praise to a man. The Bible is clear as we've seen, it is the Lord's power that saves, that delivers. The Lord holds everything in His hands. Man, strong and mighty as he may seem, the Bible's clear, is like grass that springs up and is gone by nightfall. A flower quickly fading. There is only One to whom all praise and glory and honor and dominion rightly belongs, and so it is, right to put unto Him all glory and honor, to ascribe to Him all dominion. That's right, and that's actually good for us. It turns our eyes off of fading men unto a God who never perishes, never fades away. It's awesome to behold. There is only one God, and He will not share His glory with another, but He will share His power with another, with a dependent one. That's David right here. That is the son of David, Christ. We look at him walk the earth. He is the perfect man, fully God and fully man, perfectly dependent on God, always asking the will of the Father, doing only what the will of the Father is. This is his food to eat, he says even, to, to eat the will of his Father. This is foundational to the kingdom of God. Dependence on Him, apart from Him, none of us can do anything. So we see it in David, and we see it in Christ, but I need to bring this back around to, to us because there's something remarkable here. We are to be like this too, dependent on Him. asking Him for guidance, for wisdom, obeying what He says, trusting that on the other side of this obedience we will find God in gracious power and then careful to give thanks and praise to the one to whom it is due. We are to be like that too. And when you process that, when you run that through your mind, what you find there is that means... He is going to pour out His great, vast, awesome, saving, heart-changing power if and as I depend on Him, not just on me, but through me. This is amazing. We sang about it. It's one of our songs, one of the new ones. I'm going to get the words slightly wrong, but the keys of the kingdom have been given to children and priests and shepherds of men. People, fishers of men. Who said that? Fishers of men. You're right. <laughs> us. Goofballs like us. This. Everything that I was just saying about God who saves, about God who is engaged right now, even Christ at the right hand of the Father. Lord, save this one from the folly, from the message that's coming at her. Bring her another truth. How? Through a dependent one with a Bible in her hand who says, God, help me to share this truth and then would you do the impossible as I speak? Would you open her ears so she'll hear and be changed? And it happens. The church grows over centuries through people. People like us. Sharing God's Word dependent, finding that the power of God actually throws, flows through me, it's His power, through me along with this Word and changes them. Amazing! That is a privilege and a responsibility. You can read this point in two different ways. The Lord works His saving power through a servant who depends on Him. Thank goodness. Or, uh uh-oh. Because that means that he means to use you, and you might have been in a perpetual long time out. while the game's going on. I've had a little bit of basketball coaching experience. Not a lot, a little bit. I love it. It's a ton of fun. One time, the head coach was detained, and I got to be the, the sit-in head coach. And if you know basketball a little bit, you don't want to pick up two early fouls. You don't want to pick up three early fouls. Well, this one player picked up two fouls in the first two minutes. So at her second foul, I said, "Whoa!" and called out to a player on the bench, called out her name called out her name, called out her name, called out her name. I'm standing over here. She's. (laughs) Hey, went down, touched her on the head. All the while I'm thinking, maybe I should get somebody else. (laughs) My options were limited. (laughs) Had to be her. But it was disappointing. You want to be in the game or not? We need you. You're the one who has to go in for this particular player. Apparently, you are not paying attention. Apparently, you don't want to be in the game. Now, in a basketball setting, who cares? We're not in a basketball setting. You... Christian, have been given a spiritual gift. You didn't ask for it. You didn't volunteer. You didn't sign up. You didn't pick from a list. You were assigned. Why? Read the Bible for the building up of the body. He gave you something to be used. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. To be used dependent on him, that his power would flow through you, and that he would accomplish amongst his people what he intended to accomplish when he gave you that gift. And sitting down here on the bench is cute if you're a middle school girls basketball player, is disobedience otherwise? Disobedience. He pours out His power through dependent people. That's the uh uh-oh part. The oh yeah part is. What that means is that He will use you, dependent person, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where. We can't predict any of these things. We can't dictate to Him how and when and what He does. But He will use you. The same string of thought. He gave you a gift intending to use it. As you turn to Him and say, Use me as you will, when you will, how you will. I am available and willing and I will go and I will pray and I will speak. He will use you. It is how He has chosen to build His church. It is how His great power that saves is poured out. He does not save anybody anywhere ever apart from human beings being involved in the process. Even the person who all by him or herself read her Bible, read his Bible all by himself and came to faith, who printed the Bible? A human being did. Most of us, is not how it happened. Most of us, somebody told us the Gospel and prayed for us. And then the saving work in the church. We are a body that builds itself up. Ephesians 4. Read that passage and think through. Everybody has a job. The pastors and elders equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Dependent on God for power. That's your job. And marvelously, God will use you. He uses David, dependent. He did not use Saul. He moved on from Saul. He uses David, and He uses the Anointed One, pouring out that power through those of us who follow the Anointed One. You can be used. And you should take heart. There is no hopeless situation. He has power to overcome everything. Maybe you need to repent now as we sit and consider. Maybe you need to repent for being in perpetual timeout. Maybe you need to take heart that the person that you're talking to and doesn't need to be going anywhere. You pray and you speak. God in power is doing something. Nothing can stop him. He holds that person in his hand and will do with them when and as he pleases. Take heart. So pray, pray, pray for God to use you as an instrument in His hands to carry out the great saving work of His Anointed One that is ongoing in the church now and is every day calling in more ones. He means to use us. Ask Him to. Depend on Him, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Lord, would You use Your people? You have great power to save and You showed us that You will save through David, Your Anointed. He is established and exalted as King, your Savior. We praise Him and we honor Him and then we see that we also, to follow on like Him, are to be humble and dependent instruments in your hand. So Lord, call us to that. Make clear to the individual sitting here what you mean to do with them. Lead them in repentance if necessary. Lead them into hopefulness if necessary. Lord, save us from deception and from from all that misleads us in the world. If that's what's necessary for an individual here right now, Lord, work that now in this time. Build your people, build your church to the honor of your anointed, we pray. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your determination. Thank you for saving us and for saving us all the way to the end. Lead us now, while we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.